welcome to the Queer History Podcast. I'm Dylan. And I'm Dakota. And today we'll be talking about Christine Jorgensen. Christine Jorgensen was the first public figure to undergo sexual reassignment surgery. After serving in World War II, she transitioned to female and unwillingly became a media sensation. However, she used her unexpected fame as a way to help forward the progress of transgendered people. So we're going to be talking about a historical figure who was a pioneer in the trans rights movement. And a lot of the vocabulary is different, and a lot of the public reactions, while surprisingly positive, were not what we would now consider correct. And their terminology was often not what we would use today. So, trigger warning for anyone who is very sensitive to these subjects. Christine Jorgensen was born George Jorgensen Jr. in 1926 in the Bronx, New York. I usually wouldn't say her previous name, however, she never worked to keep her past a secret and often referenced it post-transition. Her parents were Danish immigrants, and she knew from an early age that she was uncomfortable in male clothes and activities. She was close to her father, and the two of them would spend time taking and developing photographs. Her father even created a darkroom for them. After high school, she attended the New York Institute of Photography. In 1945, Jorgensen was drafted into the military for World War II. Because of her feminine behavior, she was placed in a clerk position in New Jersey. What? While she was working, that's amazing. While she was working for the military, Jorgensen read an article about a Danish doctor, Christian Hamburger, who was using hormones to experiment with gender therapy on animals. This gave her the hope that someday this therapy would be available to her. She stayed in the military until 1946, when she was honorably discharged. Living as male at this time, she was often perceived as a gay man, and although she was attracted to men, she said she did not want to take part in the gay community, knowing she would be seen as male. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, um, I, I can understand that. I feel like uh, participating in the gay community, it, just, it would definitely be a very masculine thing not maybe not what homophobes would think but it just would vary a lot of it is around being male and being a man and so I could see how that'd be distressing yeah yeah I think it's really interesting that like that because of her feminine behavior she was in a clerk position like that's amazing to me (laughs) like I don't even really yeah like weren't we desperate for people in world war ii that was the whole point of the draft and Oh, but but you walk a certain way and you talk a certain way, so we don't really don't, need you. Yeah. <laughs> we, won't, we don't need you in the trenches. Like, what? Yeah. Weird. Jordson continued to work as a photographer after World War II, but she still remembered the Danish doctor, Christian Hamburger, and his hormone therapy. She decided to go to Denmark, using her family's Danish heritage as an excuse to travel. In 1950, when she was 24 years old, Jorgensen left for Denmark for her SRS, or sexual reassignment surgery, as well as hormone therapy. She said, quote, 
I was a bit nervous because there were too many people at that period who insisted I was crazy, but Dr. Hamburger didn't feel that there was anything particularly strange about it. Which, this doctor seems like a really great guy, like very open-minded, very helpful. Yeah. So he's, he's a bit of a pioneer as well. Absolutely. She began taking hormones and living openly as a woman. She chose the name Christina to honor her doctor, Christian Hamburger. Dr. Hamburger studied her changes, convinced that this was the beginning of research that would help countless people in the future. After more than a year of taking hormones and seeing the positive effect they were having on Jorgensen's life, Dr. Hamburger petitioned the Danish government to allow castration and perform the SRS. Jorgensen saw a psychiatrist, Dr. George Stirrup, who confirmed that Jorgensen was, a, was competent to make her decision, and the petition was approved. I, that's something I've always found really interesting, is like the need for a psychiatrist to be involved in um, like sexual reassignment surgery proceedings. It, and that's like up till very recently, and I'm not even really sure what the current standing is, but I know. I, yeah, I, I do know up till very recently, like I've known people who've had to prove that they were competent to make this decision. And it's, yeah, it's very infantilizing. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's, it's very demeaning. It makes me think a little bit of like Texas, like forcing. Um, like aborted fetuses to have funerals like just like kind of yeah. like excuse me I'm like yeah people can't make choices about their own yeah. life and body after her mm-hmm. first surgery jorgensen sent her mother and father a letter saying nature made a mistake which i have had corrected and now i am your daughter her parents were supportive of her decision saying that they always had known christina was different and that they were happy she had found a solution to her discomfort. That's amazing. Her parents are That great. is really amazing. They're, oh, I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just a, a letter, a letter that's like, this is a change that you've never heard of before. It's not like there was a movement where they could be like, oh, okay, like this. Nothing. And then they are just supportive. It's it's great. Yeah. It's, like, not I think of my, um, my late grandma... To just imagine that someone from that time period would be like, yeah, no, I am so happy that you're now, you have made this. Exactly. Like, (laughs) they must have been born at the turn of the century if she was born in, uh, let's see, she was born in 1926. So they were probably born turn of the century. And so uh, no one else has an excuse. Basically. To be transparent. No one has an excuse. There we go. In 1952. During one of her follow-up operations in Denmark, her parents back in the United States were approached by a reporter who wanted to know about Christina's transition. When Jorgensen awoke from her surgery, she found that she was famous. The U.S. newspapers were running headlines like, Dear Mom and Dad, son wrote, Have now become your daughter, and XGI becomes blonde beauty. Hmm. I, I mean, like, I'm just, like, looking at them, like... Yeah, if, well, I, they definitely seem like the 1950s headlines. Like, if you say them in a radio announcer's voice, like, XGI becomes blonde beauty. Like, that, that makes more sense, I think. I mean, and, and a lot of, like, XGI becomes blonde beauty, to me, that doesn't sound that negative. I mean, it does have that, like, change aspect, but... No, here's, here's the thing, is it, it, 
it wasn't that negative. It was more curious. If we read, if we keep going, you'll see it's very, it's a surprisingly positive response. And I think a huge part of her positive response is first the newness of it and the fact that the trans community was not connected with the gay community. Uh, it, it wasn't seen as a gay thing. It was just completely separate, which now it feels like now gay rights have made such strides that a lot of people who are supportive of gay rights are still pretty transphobic and maybe not as access or not as accepting of trans people. But it seems like back, back then it was a little bit of the opposite that, because there wasn't that connection. That's really interesting. And I, I guess like I people from like the religious right didn't even this was not on their radar whatsoever. Yeah, they weren't prepared. They weren't like, okay, here's our, you know, we're against this. They had never even thought of it. Yeah. Um, Much of the information the newspapers had was from the letters she had sent her parents. She felt betrayed by her parents, who had been so supportive of her before. But a few days later, she received a letter from her mother and father explaining the situation. They explained that a reporter had found out about her surgery, and that without their input, the story would be run with a negative slant, attempting to shock or disgust, and her parents agreed to give information to change the story to a positive one, which framed the story as being about the marvels of medical science. In the letter they wrote, keep your chin up, everything will be alright, we are with you all the way. What? See, I I remember when I was reading about this and I was reading like this, these articles got the information from the parents. I was like, I was so on your side. But then, and I felt betrayed. But then now I see, I really think that even that they made the best decision and that they, that, that tough decision that they made totally flipped the script. And without it, I think it would have been a look at this strange thing. Look at this, uh, like immoral thing that's happened and instead it was um okay well 1950s what are we into we're into science we're into progress um we're trying to put a man on the moon uh so this is about science and this is about what we can do yeah and i mean like and taking words from her i think also humanizes it um yeah a very like it's not it's not a distant story it's a almost a biography yeah In 1953, when Jorgensen was 27, she returned home to the U.S. Knowing people were going to be judging her harshly on how she looked, especially how feminine, she wore a fur coat and red lipstick. When she arrived in the airport, she was surrounded by reporters who were surprised by her good looks. She was overwhelmed with the attention, but tried to be polite and answer questions, even though she was still recovering. She quickly left, saying... I thank you all for coming, but I think it's too much. It's, uh, and even now that's not different. The, the knowing that you're going to be suddenly judged based on your looks and how much you pass and how much you, uh, how you resemble your gender. Yeah. Like makes me think of like Caitlyn Jenner, like. Yeah. The, the first thing is everyone was like, Oh, look how feminine she is. Like that's not, it's nice, but it's not the point. And it's, you know, even if she wasn't feminine, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that gets me is like, 
like talking to someone that like isn't in the the bubble like doesn't get it <laughs> you know like yeah yeah but yeah she i mean we have a picture of her here with a bunch of microphones she has her um like a fur pillbox hat fur coat scarves lipstick a gloved hand with a cigarette. She looks great. She does. Yeah. <laughs> she <needs a> cigarette. <laughs> it's 1950s, so. She's, like, flourishing. She looks like she uh, yeah. she could be, like, the um, first lady of the United States or something like that. <laughs> like, she absolutely looks like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the media's response to her was surprisingly positive. They were inappropriately probing and definitely phrased things in an offensive way. But the novelty of her transition seemed to actually help her since she was not really connected with the gay and lesbian community. There was also a great interest in science and excitement over how it would change the future. There were, of course, many stories that were negative or more salacious, but the overall tone was of benign curiosity. See, so yeah, that seemed to be what it was, where everyone was just like, let's learn all about this, and um, maybe asking inappropriate questions, but not like, not like, how could you do this? But like, how'd you do this? Um, which yeah. I, I guess, I, I think that's a really nice thing about her story is it's, it's so far, it's very positive. Absolutely. Her, her legal status was unclear since there wasn't a history of trans rights. She had a couple of relationships which were followed by the media and she became engaged in 1959 but was not allowed to be married because legally she was still a male. So even even though society seemed to accept her as female, the legal groundwork wasn't there for her yet. That's still a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't... Oh, it wasn't there for her yet in 1959. Jeez. Um, of course it wasn't. Gosh. Because of all the media attention, Jorgensen became a common guest on television and radio, and made friends with many of the Hollywood elite. She decided to open a nightclub where she would often perform. She said, quote, I decided if they wanted to see me, they would have to pay for it. Man, yeah, exactly. Her act at the nightclub often featured the song, I Enjoy Being a Girl, from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, Flower Drum Song. Uh, you know how whenever there are movies with, uh, that should have Asian people cast in them and they cast white people? Mm -hmm. This is like a 1950s musical about Chinese people that's cast, it cast Chinese actors. Like, we can't even do that now. So, like, what is going on with us today that we are not as progressive as the 1950s? It's nuts. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, 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 yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, she began giving lectures in the 60s and wrote her autobiography, in the 1970s, her life was made into a movie called The Christine Jorgensen Story. Which is available, just really quick, the, uh, the Christine Jorgensen Story, that movie is available on YouTube, so you can watch it anytime. It's a, yeah, hmm. very, very 1970s, but it's a pretty positive story about a, um, about a early transition, so it's pretty interesting. And there are a lot of really sad stories, yeah. <laughs> just in general about gay and queer. And yeah, this one people. actually has a happy ending, so <laughs> that's nice. Oh, that makes me think of um, this is a terrible uh, jump, but like uh, makes you think of um, oh Albert Knobs. Oh my God, yeah. 
why did I, like, I saw that and it, like, I was devastated for the next year. Like, I don't know. Like, I left the theater. Oh, wait, did we watch that together? Yes. Dude, we saw that together. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it, it reminded me a little bit of Brokeback Mountain. But Brokeback Mountain, while it's extremely sad, and I'll never forget the words, Jack, I swear, at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> Albert knows, like, doesn't have a high point. No, it was have, devastating like, from beginning to end. Do you remember that, like, beautiful <laughs> girl who was totally taking advantage of Albert the whole time? Ugh. Yes, it just hurts. And I was like, stop, (laughs) stop, stop. Oh, man. It was terrible. Uh, Don't watch it. I can't believe I was, like, (laughs) expressing my memory to you. And, like, we sat in the theater together and talked about it. (laughs) Oh, my God. And also, did we see that the same day that we saw that uh, Michael Fassbender um, one about sex addiction? Where, like, his low point, the worst thing that happens to him is he's so addicted to sex that he goes and gets a blowjob from a guy and that sends him Which in is spiral. like awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it's just thing. homophobic. Like, there's no yeah. way around that. Like, and like that was, was just, the worst no, thing that he did. It was like, whatever, guy. That movie was stupid. <laughs> like, dude, you just, you, you just had sex with a different person than you usually yeah. do. Oh my God. <laughs> And I'm sure you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I had an orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. But I went and searched for. <laughs> whatever. That, guy, that movie sucked. And that was right around the time I found out Michael Fassbender also has like a history of abusing his girlfriends. So. Yeah, no, he's not a good person. <laughs> Which is, I hate this. I hate finding out like that people that are that I, I like on screen, I can't like. <laughs> you know? I know. <sighs> yeah, the I I wouldn't have cared if it wasn't for X Men. Yeah. Oh, that first that is okay. That is a good gay movie, and if we're going to include this entire tangent in the podcast, yeah, you should watch X Men First Class. It has a queer sensibility, and it's made for queer people. <laughs> like, yeah, it definitely does. There, I don't grasp my friends in my arms and hold them to my chest and. Yeah stare into their eyes it was so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) after the release of her movie jorgensen moved to san clemente california to retire in her old age she returned to denmark to meet with the doctors who helped her transition she died in 1989 that is pretty recent at the age of 69 of lung and bladder cancer about her influence She said, we didn't start the sexual revolution, but I think we gave it a good kick in the pants. Thank you for listening to the Queer History Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you to Liv Slingerland for the intro and outro music. You can contact us at thequeerhistorypodcast at gmail.com. 